Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn with us to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. I was just here about a month ago, got to pray in this service, but I was preaching to the Corinne church. Uh, about a couple of months before that, I was preaching to the Matu church that you host, and then we've been working with the Camus church. And so, again, thank you as a church family for hosting the nations, really, in your facilities that they might reach their people with the gospel. And so thankful for, again, Mark and Connie Loy and Jeannie Owees, and again, their ministry and their heart for the nations, and for Brandon, your pastor. Love your pastor, and again, you have a great preacher. I get to travel all over, uh, again, uh, our 120 churches, and Brandon is one of the great preachers of our association and of this state. And I hope you understand, again, the gift that God has given you in Brandon, and that you pray for him and uphold him in the journey. Well, I want to talk this morning about God-defining moments, and just a simple outline, life-interrupting moments, life-changing moments, and life-ending moments. So let's jump into the Word of God, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. And then I love verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Solomon reminds us in his great wisdom that there is a time for everything under the sun. And as we look at that, it is so important that we recognize that eternity is a part of God's plan from the beginning, that He desires to have relationship with every one of us, and He has put in the heart of man, again, uh, eternity. Then I want you to turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's begin reading at verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus there, says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and make sure that, again, you're, you're seeking that so that you're not unwise in the journey. James would also remind us about time that life is like a vapor. It appears here and then it's gone. And so I want to talk about three simple truths, life's interrupting moments, life-changing moments, and life-ending moments. All of us are familiar with life-interrupting moments, right? I'm sure you've had that happen in your journey in probably recent days, no doubt. Sometimes we expect that almost every day, that sometimes life all of a sudden is turned upside down. The pandemic was one of those events in the last couple of years that turned life upside down for church, for example, as we were not able to meet. And then for families, as family gatherings were even, uh, again, limited. And so all of a sudden, life is interrupted. There's been wars. There was 9-11. 
there was 2008 with the money crash, and then all of a sudden here we are again coming out, hopefully, of the pandemic. But let's walk back in Scripture to some interrupting moments, again, of life stories. One is Abraham. You know, Abraham was interrupted, and all of a sudden God spoke and said, I want you to leave Ur of Chaldea, and I want you to come follow me. He wasn't given, again, the destination of where they were to arise, but he was to follow God. And he began that journey. God made a promise to him, and they wondered how that promise was going to be fulfilled, and then Isaac came along. And then all of a sudden one day, God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, and I want you to go up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your son. I would call that an interrupting moment. Again, he had to wrestle with his thoughts and wrestle with his heart. As you follow Scripture, he didn't even have a conversation with his wife about going up on that mountain with his son to sacrifice him. And yet he begins that journey, and all of a sudden as they're climbing that mountain, Isaac looks to his father and says, Dad, where is the sacrifice? And I love the Scripture in Genesis chapter 22 where God said, where Abraham says, God will provide himself the sacrifice. And you know that he did provide himself the sacrifice on Mount Calvary that you and I could have salvation. But as they walked up that mountain, and again, he placed Isaac on that altar, I call it a life-interrupting moment. And then all of a sudden, the angel uh, from heaven interrupts him and stops him from killing his son. As you begin to study that passage, one of the wonderful truths is Abraham so believed God and God's promises that he believed that even if he took the life of his son, God would raise him back to life. Wow, that's great faith, isn't it? Faith to begin that journey, faith again to trust God throughout that journey, faith that God calls you and I to experience as well in life. Moses is another example of a life-interrupting moment. You remember again the story. He's raised in in the palace, and uh, again, he sees one of his uh, brethren mistreated, and he kills an Egyptian, and so he runs for his life. He's on the backside of the desert, tending his father-in-law's sheep. And it seems like it's been forever since he's heard from God. And in that moment, again, all of a sudden, he looks, and there's a burning bush. And he begins to draw near, and God stops him and says, you're getting ready to, to, to be on holy ground. You need to remove your shoes. And so, again, he, he stops a moment, and he sees that, that burning bush, and his life has changed forever from that moment as that interruption happens, you know. Because after that story of him meeting God, God calls him to go back to Pharaoh and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And again, he, he, he stumbles through that, that whole process of surrender, but eventually gets to that moment of surrender, and he goes and follows God's call upon his life. Isaiah chapter 6 is another interruption. Uh, the Scripture says that in the year that King Uzziah died, again, Isaiah saw who? He saw God. He saw him high and lifted up, and immediately in that that interruption, you know, death interrupts life, does it not? Anybody out there? Hello? Death certainly interrupts life. It does. And again, we go through a process of grief, a process of uh, of adjustment, a process of of, of trying to realize, again, our our new, as they call it, a new normal in going forward. And, And that interruption, and all of a sudden, here Isaiah experiences death. It seemed like revival was going to come. He was preaching and preaching, and all of a sudden this interruption happens. And when it does, he draws near to God, and he realizes his lips are unclean and his life is unclean, and he realizes that God is needing someone to go for him. And all of a sudden through that experience of interruption, he says yes. I love to look at the New Testament and see Jesus' interruptions. 
Every day it was an interruption for Jesus, was it not? Someone coming saying, heal me. Someone coming saying they wanted something from him. Every day was an interruption to the life of Jesus. But I love certain stories that really are uh, explain that interruption for me. First of all, there was Jairus who came running. He was a ruler of that day, but his daughter at the, at the age of, of about 12 was sick and she was dying and, and he had exhausted every opportunity or, or, or possibility that he could think of. And so what did he do? He come running to Jesus. And what does he do as a ruler? He falls down before him and says, sir, if, if, if you would, would you come to my house and heal my daughter? She's sick. That was an interruption. He was already in ministry at that moment, but that interruption takes place. And what does Jesus say? says, I, I will go to your house. And that had to overjoy. Again, uh, Jairus is high, but on the way of going to his house, guess what happens? Another interruption. There's a woman with the issue of blood that's been sick for 12 years, exhausted everything that she has had, and now here she is, desperate. Did you hear that word? Desperate for God to do something in her life. And she says, if I can just but touch the hem of his garment, I can be made well, I can be made whole. And she pushes through the crowd. There was a great crowd of people gathered. And as she touches Jesus, Jesus stops and says, somebody touch me. And the disciples are wondering, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching him, it seems like. The crowd is so drawn in. And yet again, all of a sudden, the power of God goes out, and she's made new through that interruption of Jesus. All of a sudden, he turns, and the people from Jairus' house are coming and saying, Jairus, it's too late. Your daughter has died, and yet Jesus says what? No, it's not too late. And, and so he goes to her house and raises her back to life. One of my favorite stories is the four men over in Mark chapter 2, where again another interruption takes place. Jesus is in the house teaching, and people are everywhere, again, wanting to hear him, and there's not room but here's a man that's a paralytic, and he has four friends that pick him up on a, his pallet, each on a corner, and brings him to the house. And when they get there, I wonder if they were surprised by the crowd because they can't get near to Jesus. But what did they do? They again go up on top of the house and begin to tear the roof apart and interrupt Jesus yet again while he's teaching, right? And all of a sudden, the man is let down through the roof, and Jesus responds. He's not seen such faith again before. And again, he, he heals the man, and he rescues the man, and he redeems the man. And yet, here's another interruption that Jesus does a miracle in. Life in the life of Christ was filled with interruptions. There was the woman, again, who lived on the streets and was a woman of the streets, and Jesus was invited to a party at Simon's house. You remember the story? And she knows how to get in back doors, and she slips in the back door, and all of a sudden, what does she do? She interrupts the party. Simon says, was she invited? If Jesus knew her like, the kind she is, he wouldn't even speak to her. But again, in that moment of interruption, she begins to break open the box of alabaster ointment and pours it on Jesus and washes his feet even with her hair and in that moment Jesus makes one of those great statements if you've been forgiven much you'll do what you'll love much I love the interruptions of scripture I don't always love the interruptions of life though do you I don't always like the interruptions of life it was about 12 years ago we we're at the doctor's office and the doctor told my wife that she had chronic myeloid leukemia 
And it was an interruption to our life. Over the next nine years, she would take a chemo pill and be checked again uh, to make sure that she was in remission every month that she would do blood. And again, everything that would change in her body, she would think something was going on. And if you've had cancer, you know the experience that she was having. Six years ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, another life interruption. And she went through chemo and radiation and uh, another recent surgery, but praise God, no cancer today. She's cancer-free, amen? But I got to tell you something. When we heard that word cancer, you think it changed our prayer life? Hello? You better believe it did. It made us desperate for God to do something, to touch, to provide, again, to draw us near to himself and meet our every need. Can I tell you that God loves desperation? He praises desperation. He rewards desperation. And through our moments of interruptions, God wants us to push in toward him that we might experience again his power, his strength, his presence, his love, and that we might again be renewed in our faith journey through those interruptions. And many times in ministry, those interruptions become God-defining moments, don't they? For someone's life, for somebody's journey, for, for somebody's, again, faith walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second moment I want to talk about is life-changing moments. Now, what I found is life-interrupting moments often become life-changing moments. You've experienced that, haven't you? Many times the interruptions of life become those changing moments for you. One of my favorite stories is uh, about a man by the name of A.W. Milne. He was all in for the kingdom of God. I mean all in. He joined a group of what is called one-way missionaries. And the reason they were called one-way missionaries, they were going to a New Hebrides tribe in the South Pacific. Uh, no one had ever gone there and lived, and yet they were willing to go and try to be a witness to this tribe. And so they packed all their belongings in caskets. Every one of them had a casket already made to fit them exactly because they were not expecting to come back. They all bought one-way tickets. They were not expecting to have a round trip and come back. They were going all in in this moment. And they went there. And the beauty of it is they spent 35 years there in ministry. A.W. did. And I love what he said. He said, when he went, there was no light. Everything was dark. But when he died and he was buried there, there was no darkness. The light of God's love and grace was so powerful and so persuasive that in that moment of them being all in, listen, they were willing to leave everything that they loved and everything that they knew again to be all in. And that moment was a life-changing moment, not only for them, but the New Hebrides tribe that came to faith of hearing the gospel. I walk through the scripture and I see life-changing moments over and over again. There's the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. You remember the story? Again, he wanted to, nothing to do with his father, nothing to do with their religion, nothing to do with their rules. He wanted life on his own. And so he, he says, Father, I need my inheritance. Now, what he was saying, if you follow that scripture is, I want you to die because that's usually how you got your inheritance. I don't want anything to do with you. I, I want to be out of here. I want to be on my own. Now, that story was very intriguing in that day. Again, it would not have really been lived out because if the prodigal son had did this and said, I want my dad uh, dead, again, he would be disowned by the people of that, that, that 
culture in that day. And in fact, when he went out and wasted his living and came back, rather than being welcomed and embraced, he would have been stoned. That was the law of the land of that time. But when he comes back, we see the great picture of God's great love, don't we? Where the father, again, had been looking every day, and all of a sudden, one day, he comes to his senses, uh, the, the prodigal does, and he comes in and turns his life around by the grace of God as he puts his faith in the Lord. And as he does that, the, the story reveals that God has open arms even today to welcome anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And I can imagine as he's walking back that journey, having wasted everything now, having to come back and say, Father, can I, I, I just be a servant at your house? He's rehearsing what he's going to say. Can you imagine? He's just rehearsing that over and over again. What am I going to say? Uh, how am I going to say it? And he says, Father, I've sinned against you and sinned against heaven. And man, when we come to that moment, it is a life-changing moment, isn't it? When you said, Lord, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven, and my life is a mess, and I need you to be my Lord and Savior, it becomes a life-changing moment for you. The apostle Paul had that experience. You remember Miss Saul? He was doing everything he could to destroy the church. He, he was doing everything he could, and all of a sudden, he's on the Damascus Road, again, still on a journey to, 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 to hush the cause of Christ and the church and destroy everyone who was a follower of the way of, of Jesus, and in that moment, a light shines from heaven, and he's blinded. And God arrests his heart. And God reminds him of his great love through his son. And he comes to faith. His life is turned upside down. Wow. And we're so thankful for that moment, right? Right? Because think of the teachings that you and I have to walk in faith and to walk again, not by sight, but by the grace of God and to walk in completeness and, and put on that full armor as he writes to all those churches. There's the woman at the well who had that life-changing moment. Jesus makes a certain direction to a well. And he says to the disciples, I've got to go by here. And at noonday, this lady comes to the well to draw water. No one wanted to have anything to do with her because of the life and lifestyle she was living. And yet Jesus begins a conversation, and she's amazed at that because they were not even to be talking to each other. They were two different kinds of people. And yet in that moment of conversation, Jesus reminds her of the living water. And tells her everything about her life as he knows everything about your life and my life and yet loves us, amen, and yet greatly loves us in spite of that. And, and so he meets her, and, and here he is again to, to redeem her and restore her and give her life, and, and it changes, and she goes back to the city, brings the whole city out to meet Jesus, and the whole city or town is changed by the grace of God. At Pleasant Garden, we had three services in the morning, and I remember at 8.30 service, I was able to go by and shake everybody's hand, and I would do that every Sunday morning, and so I'm going back shaking everybody's hand. I come to the very back pew, and I reach out my hand to shake Dad's hand. He has a son that's about a seventh grader sitting beside of him, and I reach out to shake his hand, and guess what? He doesn't reach back to shake my hand, and the reason as I think and trying to process what's my next response, what's my next move, I then realize why he didn't. He was born without arms, and he couldn't reach out to shake my hand. 
Over the next several months, he would again uh, uh, come to church with his dad. They would join our church. He would come to faith in Christ, be baptized, and what a divine moment. But over time, he surrendered to preach. Daniel Ritchie is his name. He's preaching all over America today. But I remember as we were ordaining him as a church, he was sitting in that ordination council, and uh, one of the preachers spoke up and said, Daniel, tell me, how did you ever settle the issue that God made you like you are. And man, it got quiet. I mean quiet. And Daniel then spoke up and said, God fearfully and wonderfully made me the way I am. I'm not a mistake. I'm not a mistake. And God can use my life greater than ever, even if I had arms. Because everybody wants to hear my story. And if they hear my story, they hear my faith journey with Jesus Christ. God fearfully and wonderfully made me like I am, and I'm thankful. Did you hear those words? Man, there wasn't a dry in that whole room. For the next probably 10 minutes, everybody in there just wept because we wondered, if I had been made like that, What would have been my response? He's an amazing young man. Opens the Bible with his toes, eats a hamburger with his feet. Can change a tire with his feet. Man, just go go to the videos and you'll see that. Just just amazing young man. But a life-changing moment happened that day when he realized he was not a mistake. And God had a plan for his life, just like God has a plan for your life. In ministry at Pleasant Garden, we always wanted uh, every high schooler to go on a mission trip outside the country. We just felt like it, again, would be a gift to them. And if they could see how others lived and go to the places of poverty and the places where the gospel had not been, it really often became a life-changing moment for them. They looked at life truly in a different manner. And so we went to El Salvador, we went to uh, Ecuador, and then we would take turns and go to Honduras. And so we would send them uh, a year at a time in a a different place. On this particular uh, trip, they were in Honduras, and uh, it was several on the trip. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know it's a vacation time. Amen? Don't think so. It is hard work. And so here they are laboring and working. Well, about Wednesday afternoon, they have a break. And so in that break, they have about three hours of downtime. And the guy said, well, let's climb the mountain. And up at the top of the mountain was a phone tower. And so they climbed the mountain, and it took a little bit longer than they thought they were needing to get down. So they asked the guy, is there a quicker way down? And he said, yeah, it's a little bit dangerous, but you be careful. We'll get down okay. And so they said, we'll choose that. We want to get back on time. So they start down uh, again that trail. Again, it's rocky. It's difficult. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Our youth pastor falls off the side of the mountain. Feet go out from under him. He's over the side, a hundred-foot drop. He says, in a moment, I saw my whole life flash before me. I wondered if I'd ever speak to my wife, ever see my children again. Their pictures again was just edged in my mind for that second. And then out of nowhere, I stopped. And I found myself on a tree sticking out the side of the mountain, and I quickly grabbed a hold of, again, the side of the mountain to steady myself. 
The people up top just knew he was gone. Uh, again, the guide had to get on his, on, his, on his stomach, and they had to hold his feet to keep him from sliding off. And he, again, looked over to see where the youth pastor was. And he was amazed to see him on standing on that tree. Now, he had to jump about that high, again, to grab his hand to be able to get back up on top of the mountain. They're holding his feet. He's trying to define whether I'm going to jump or not. How can I do this? What are my options? He didn't have any other options. And eventually he gets up enough courage to jump, and he jumps, and he grabs the, uh, the, the guy's hand, and they pull him up. And he says, man, I can't even stand up for about 30 minutes. He says, man, my whole life was shook. And I thought I was gone. I thought it was over. He says, but that was not the moment. The moment was when finally we got down to the bottom of the mountain, and I looked back up. And the only tree on the side of that mountain was that one four-foot tree sticking out where I landed at. And I knew God had planted that there years ago for that moment. He says, I'll never forget that. And for me, it became a life-changing moment. Well, I've preached hard, amen? About to end. I'm going to be hungry after I do this another time, amen? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to K&W because I can get a lot there. And I'm walking down the line, and I'm looking at the line, and as I'm doing it, I mean, I want some fried chicken. I'm a real preacher, and I want some roast beef, and I, I, I get to the, the vegetables, and as I get there, all of a sudden, I, I see something that I've not seen before. And I ask the lady, ma'am, what is that? And she says, you don't want to know. That's an odd response. I don't want to know. Why not? She says, you just don't want to know. I said, well, I've got to know by now. You, you need to tell me what that is. And guess what she says? Pre-chewed food. And I say, yuck. I don't even think I want to eat here, right? And so I leave. You know they wouldn't serve that there, would they? You know the only place I know they serve that at? Church, every Sunday. You come to hear a fresh word from the Lord, but if you're not careful, you'll let someone else worship for you, and you'll let someone else pray for you, and you'll let someone else praise God for you. Yeah, and I beg you, don't do that. Make sure you're in the Word for yourself. Make sure that in life's interruptions and in life-changing moments, again, you're seeking God yourself, not through someone else, but yourself, that you experience God's power and God's divine love that truly changes you every day into more and more of His likeness. The last thing I tell you is life-ended moments. Life-ended moments. And I think of the life of Jesus Christ. And as I think of Jesus, I, I, I'm amazed that it says in Scripture, he never displeased the Father. Can you imagine living that way? So that when you come to the end, you, you've never displeased the Father? Oh, I know my prayer right now is, God, may I live the rest of my days and never displease you in any way, but only please you with my journey. I think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, my hour's come. I'm ready to be offered. I, I, I've done what I can do. David said the same thing. I've, I've lived out and fulfilled what God had for me to do. 
Oh, that we can come to that moment as well and say, we fulfill that which God had for us. I like Paul's journey as he looks back over life and as he reflects on it and thinks through it. He says, everything I've done, I count as but what? No value at all. And the one thing I do from this moment on is I pledge that I may know God. Wow. Did you know Moses said that? David said that. Hosea said that. And the Apostle Paul said that. This one thing that matters in my life the most from here out is that I may know God. Jesus said something about that. You remember? He says, and this is eternal life that you go to church every Sunday, that you live a good moral life, that you treat people with kindness, that you know the scriptures. Mm -mm. You know what he said? And this is eternal life that you know God. All that we can say when we come to that life-ending moment, we know him. You do know the statistics. Until Jesus returns, one out of one does what? They die. One out of one dies. It's going to happen. The last four years of my pastorate at Pleasant Garden, I did 50, 50 funerals a year. Yeah. I've done about uh, 12 already this year. All ages. Because what? There's a life-ending moment. It is appointed unto men to die. And so we need to make sure we're ready for that moment. My youngest daughter's father-in-law died a year ago this coming weekend, this, this coming week. He was diagnosed with cancer. He was in the hospital over Christmas and again got out, and uh, they told him that he had two weeks to live. They sent him to hospice. He lived 10 weeks. It was hard on the family. Because they were wondering when that transition was going to happen. He was going to start down. And again, that was going to be their last moments with him. But those 10 weeks was a gift. You know why? Because he was able to speak with everyone in the family and have a heart one-to-one -one conversation. Because life-ending moments has life-ending conversations, right? Yeah, those last words are important. I remember the last words of my dad 11 years ago when he died, and he said, the last words, I love you, son. I'll never forget that. Man, those are cherished words in my heart right now. And so he said to his granddaughters, it's going to be okay. I'm going to a better place. All is well with my soul. He could say to a nephew that was living in the world, it's not too late for you to return to the Lord. God loves you and forgives you, and God has a special plan for your life. It's not too late. Do you believe those words still ring in his ears today? Yeah, they still ring in his ears today. And the last ending words of Jesus was, I did all of this on the cross for you because I so loved you, I gave my life for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. And Lord, I know I, I don't welcome interruptions, but they're a part of life. And when they come, 
Lord, sometimes life is really turned upside down for any of us in those experiences. The death of a loved one, an illness or sickness of ourself, a job that we no longer have. Lord, all kind of things happen to us. And as they do, I pray they push us toward you ever, ever more. Push us toward you so that they become changing moments for us. So that we desire like never before your will to be done because you have set eternity in our hearts. And Lord, as we stand together in this place in just a moment, we never know what the week holds for any of us. It might be a life-ending moment for someone we cherish, someone we love, or even ourselves. We don't know that moment. God, I pray we're ready for that moment because we've placed our faith in you. And Father, if there's anyone here that hasn't done that, Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would quicken their heart and they would see the open arms that you have for them to welcome them into your family, to forgive them, to redeem them, to save them, to make them new, to bring them from death to life, as your word describes. Lord, I pray they would simply cry out to you, oh God, be merciful to me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I've made a mess of my life. And I need a start over. I need a redo. I need grace. I need help. I need you, God, to be the boss of my life. And I want to begin a relationship with you. Lord, I want to come in faith and trust you today to be my Savior. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is at that moment ready to make that commitment, God, you will prompt them to do so. Lord, then I pray for all of us who are followers of you. This week, there's going to be interruptions. And over our journey, there's going to be changes. And in our journey, there's going to be an end. God, help us so live toward that end that we're ready. Without any shadow of doubt, we're ready to stand before you and give an account of our life based on your grace and your work on the cross. Not anything we've done, but your great grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.